Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about connecting our minds, bodies, and emotions to relieve pain and suffering. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Dr. Larry Caldwell. Dr. Larry is a doctor of oriental medicine, licensed acupuncturist, and the author of Revealing Healing. Welcome, Dr. Larry. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Well, thank you, Linda. And and I want to add that I'm retired, so. Uh, Retired. Retired, Dr. Oriental Medicine, yes. That is awesome. That way you keep all of the wisdom and all of the experience, and you have some time so that you can chat with me today. I have time and a lot more time to think about all the things I wrote in the book and, and think about. That is perfect. I'm so excited to hear your wisdom. So I read your book and I okay. loved it. I so enjoyed as I'm reading through, I could just feel like we are on the same page. And I love when more and more people are awakening to the fact that our physical health is not separate, like in a little bento box where the physical health is here and our mental health is here and our spiritual health is here and our emotional health is over here, that everything is all interconnected like a bowl of spaghetti. And that is so exciting because that is some of the truths that you bring out. And particularly how what happens to us in our childhood is affecting things. So would you mind kind of sharing your story and how you decided to be what you are? Okay. Well, starting out, I grew up, you know, grew up in in the kitchen with my parents and family members and mom and dad, and they were always talking. And um, they they were always complaining about their health. You know, talking about health issues that they were always sick and neighbors were sick with stuff. And I couldn't understand why we're always sick. At the time, we were we were Baptists. We were going to a Baptist church. And they were talking about God and stuff. And I couldn't understand why we as children of God were always sick all the time. It didn't make sense to me. So that was a seed that kept growing in my mind. And as I got older, uh, I kept wondering. And in my early 20s, I got involved in acupuncture and homeopathy because I was having issues and I didn't like the idea of just taking medicines for the, for the problems. So I got involved in acupuncture, started having acupuncture treatments, and it was just phenomenal what was going on. And I also realized that most of allopathic medicine doesn't deal with emotional issues. They don't believe emotions have an impact on our health. And I never understood that because when you're growing up, you get angry, you get sad, and you can feel that. We feel that when we think those, think those emotions. So to me, what I liked about oriental medicine was that it incorporates the whole body. So what you think and your emotions that you produce, produce chemicals in your body and reactions in your body, and you have to process those emotions. And so I was an architect for several years, and then in my early 40s, I found myself wanting to find something else, and um, I went to school. To become a doctor of oriental medicine. Really? So you didn't start that until your 40s. Fascinating. Well, in, in my class at the time, the average age was 40. Really? There were, oh, there were a couple. Well, this was this was like 30 years ago. So, yeah, acupuncture was just a kernel of expectation. Uh, and since then, there have been younger, younger people going into acupuncture right out of college or whatever they're doing. But, yeah, it was, it was something relatively new. So it was interesting. 
That is fascinating. Now, um, as we talk a little bit about the things and events that took place in our childhood, do you want to share any of the other events that took place? Some of the things that were maybe affected you? Well, I, I, I grew up in a, a family. Uh, my mother was very controlling and minimizing. And she had her own issues, which she brought in the family. And as I was growing up, I, I knew I was a part of that. I knew that if my mother wasn't treated the way she was treated and felt better, she would have treated me better. And my dad was kind of ineffectual. He was a nice man, but he, he, he came from a background of having heart issues. So they told him not to get too excited. They told him he couldn't do a lot of, a lot of jobs. So he was kind of a weaker component in the, the dynamics of my parents' marriage. And that created, that created a, a ground, a basis for my childhood, which was, had a lot of strife in it. So anyway, I, again, so I came back, okay, looking at allopathic medicine, which is Western medicine, they don't address the mental issues. They don't, not very well. And they don't think that your mind can cause physical symptoms. And for women, and they're starting to do that again now, saying that you're just um, neurotic, there's just something wrong, you're just emotional. And uh, I didn't think that worked either because I could see how emotions played a role. So in my practice, that was, that was what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to teach people that what happened to them or how they saw their lives impacted their decisions that they're making today. So as adults, we make decisions based on what transpired or how we see it transpired in our childhood and throughout our lives. And I love that you made that clarification. So as you're talking, and I'm trying to make some mental notes of all these awesome points that you're bringing up, I love that when you talked about your mother and some of her imperfections, that you also gave her that benefit of the doubt and that recognition that she was doing the best she could and that it was a reflection of the circumstances that she did. And we have a tendency to very naturally pay things forward and to continue a cycle unless we take that very purposeful, um, intentional uh, step to change the course. And that is what you did. And another, some other amazing things that you talked about is, Dr. Larry, you are so ahead of the game where you recognize the truths of these interconnections long before a lot of your neighbors and a lot of the people in the United States did. You're probably familiar with um, the book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And he is a a research scientist who has brought these truths that you are talking about that have been, I mean, they've always been true, but they haven't been accepted in the United States and making it more mainstream. It's been a number one New York Times bestseller because it brings the idea that um, our emotions, our experiences, and our traumas affect us physically. And now they're starting to have research to help verify that that is the case which is so exciting because it helps to open the eyes of traditional Western medicine that there is more than what we previously understood. And you talked about the idea that, oh, you're just emotional. And the idea of psychosomatic, which is where our our experiences, our emotions, our stress affects our body. 
And for the longest time, people thought that meant basically you were hypochondrical, where it's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just all in your head. And now we're realizing, actually, that's not true. In, in a way, but it doesn't mean that it's not real. It means that there's a source to it. And so I, I've read lots of different research, but anywhere from 80 to 95% of the illnesses that we have are that psychosomatic basis where it comes from our emotions, our experiences, our traumas, and our stresses, the things that we're doing with now. And so it's so exciting. It's like, we're, we're catching up with Dr. Larry here. It's like, ta-da, you're a trailblazer. Actually, I felt that way too because when I started the practice, it was it was common not to treat the emotional level. And we were taught not to really treat the emotional level because it was too complicated. Blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what's the point in doing this if we're not getting to the root of the problem? So, and most of my patients were women, and a lot of them didn't like the idea that I was saying, especially if they were mothers, that you know you probably already screwed up your kids or or gave bad in- info to them, uh, but. <laughs> What we're trying to do here is educate you now so that we can stop that cycle from happening. Because in a family dynamic, it tends to get repeated and repeated and repeated. So the idea is we have to pay attention at some point to stop and say, wow, this, this isn't working and try to break that cycle and look at, look at where we are. And it goes back to our family, family dynamics. And isn't that the truth? And I think the more that we're able to wake up to that idea, then um, the sooner that we can heal and to stop those cycles. And I love that you mentioned this sometimes is hard to hear because when we go to this, it involves, um, we have to go back to things that maybe we don't want to remember. We have to address things that maybe we prefer to forget. And, um, I, I loved, there was a, 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 one of the chapters in your book that was titled, um, Time Heals All Wounds. And when I read the title of that chapter, I thought, oh, we're going to disagree here. And then when I started reading, it says, you know, people say that time heals all wounds, but actually that's not true. I thought, oh, okay, we're back. We're back. We're on the same. <laughs> because I want to keep people interested. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. it, it doesn't. Uh, some people think, okay, you know, stuff that happened in the past, that's, that's done. And it can be if we address it, but it's kind of like a sliver where until we, until we remove it, it's, it's in there causing pain, maybe causing some kind of infection. It, it causes issues. And so we have to be able to address and remove those so that we can heal all the way. Otherwise time just buries our wounds. Yes. Well, and they surface. The thing that is we have defense mechanisms to defend our, our pain and our traumas from our, our consciousness. And so the trick is trying to get through those defense mechanisms to get to the truth so that we can expunge that, that pain and get it out in the open. And then it becomes just a story in our lives. And it doesn't affect our health as much. So it is a complex process. But in my mind, there's if you don't do this, you're not going to get where you want to get to. Exactly. Because people will constantly undermine whatever they're doing, if they want to lose weight, if they want to be a good performer or whatever, they'll constantly undermine that if they don't feel good about themselves. And if they didn't feel good about themselves as a child, they more than likely won't feel good about themselves as an adult. And that's another important thing where common ideas are that 
when I am rich, I will be happy. When I am successful, I will be happy. When I have this, that, or the other, just you name your whatever thing is that you think you want that will make you happy. And it doesn't work. It, it, it comes from the inside out. And exactly. until we recognize that our, our just attaining of things or attaining of successes is not going to bring that, that happiness and that peace that we're seeking. No, we share, we share what we have. So energetically, if you have a lot of emotions inside, you're not being honest with yourself, you're not going to be honest with the outside world. So we end up sharing who we are inside, even though we might mask it or try to hide it, it still reflects outward. And that's, that to me was very fascinating that time doesn't heal all wounds. They reside in there until, until we can get them out. And we make our decisions based on our wounds too. So what people don't realize why they're doing things is because something happened to them in the past that they no longer want to look at. And they're making these decisions and they're wondering why they're constantly in turmoil. It just is amazing that you were doing this before it became well, well known. And well, so I'm wondering, and I love that when we have basic truths and these concepts, that there's more than one way to address it. And I love that you went through this course of oriental medicine because they had something that was a little closer to the truth. And so I would love to hear what you do, what you did, and to help people be able to find that and to be able to bring it up and heal it and move forward. Well, it, it starts out, I always, always felt comfortable meeting people and asking them questions, uh, pertinent questions. And so in my practice, someone would come in and we were taught to do a 10 question thing in Chinese medicine to get a diagnosis. But I found that I get more information if I got them involved in a conversation. And I would use that, the 10 questions to go back in time, like what happened in your birth or, you know, uh, what, what, what kind of mindset or what kind of body set was your mother in when she, when she birthed you? And then what happened after the next 10 years? So I would take 10 year increments and through that, it filled in a whole page of stuff. And then I would go back and ask specific questions about things. And uh, then if they brought up intense emotions, then I would go over and treat them. And so I would do body work by hand and using, a, you know, I got, I developed it to where I was only using one needle towards the end. And I would, I was doing mostly a little bit of body work touching. And so I was opening up meridians and tapping in to where they stored the pain and that energy in their body to have it come out. That is fantastic. So more, you use more acupressure than acupuncture. Am I understanding that correctly? In the beginning, in the beginning, it was a little bit of both. Like in acupuncture school, we, we, we were taught shiatsu, which is a Japanese form of acupressure. And uh, I started doing a little business doing shiatsu and I was working on 80 to hundred year old people. And, and by touching them and doing things by pressing the points, I found that one human touch is critical. Just touching them was healing. And then by pressing points, I was activating the painful points that they have to open up the meridians, to get energy flowing, to get blood flowing, to bring up emotions. And um, so 
by the time I got through school, I realized, well, just putting needles in people does a lot, but then also does touching and pressing the points. So I combined all that. So I would, we would talk about issues. I'd go treat them, working on the body, doing the needle, and then putting a needle in, and then letting them lay there for about 20 minutes. And a lot of things would happen. That's magical. So how do you know where this trauma is stored in the body? Because if you well, need to touch the right place, how do you know how to find it? Well, this may sound like bragging, but as, as my practice grew, I developed, my intuition kept trying to come through. And so I finally allowed that to come through. And once I started doing that, I felt like I, I was being guided. Um, by God, by Jesus, by Mother Mary. I know that may be too personal. But anyway, I felt I was being guided. So after a while, I thought people would call me Dr. Pain because I would go right to where they had pain. And my, uh, with my hands, I'd go right to it, and we would work on it. So it became very intuitive, and that's why over, over the course of 20 years, I got to where I was doing a little bit of body work and then putting in one needle. So... Unfortunately, the patients that came to me later thought I didn't know what I was doing because I was only using one needle and other acupuncturists would use 5, 10, 15 needles or whatever. So it's interesting. But yes, I do feel like I was ahead of the curve because towards the end, a lot of my associates were saying, I'm doing emotional work now. I said, I've been talking about that for 20 years. <laughs> it's like, come on in. The water's fine. And yes. yes, this actually matters. This works. Yes, it does, yes. You're not, to me, it was like, I, I was looking for, like going back to the sitting around the table, I was looking for why we're sick all the time. Granted, there are chemicals, you know, we have all, you know, DuPont, and 3M, and everybody makes all these chemicals. There's all these things out there. And the only thing that we can control is what's in here, right? What's in here, what's in here. So the idea is if, the cleaner we are, the healthier we we are inside, then we're able to handle better what's outside. Ooh, and that is empowering because yes. it lets me have some say and control in my health and well-being. Yes. Where yes. if we just say, oh, it's because of the, the toxins and the pollutions, I don't have control over that and I can feel like a, like a victim. Like yes. I'm just this paper bag blown in the wind and, and stuff's going to happen to me. And by having this understanding that how we prepare ourselves makes a big difference in whether or not we can be healthy and successful. Right. And I love that. Well, if you think about our bodies, like if we, have, if we have our mind going one way and our heart going another way, that creates a conflict, right? And if you put two people in a room and they're conflicting, what comes out of that? They're not working in a good direction. They're not building, right? So if we have our mind and body working together and we're, and we're not fighting internal battles of trying to protect ourselves from the pain that we've had in the past, if we're not doing all those things, then that allows our energy to be focused on dealing with what's going on around us and also creating better relationships. Isn't that the truth? You know, sometimes we use the analogy of, I have a lot on my plate. And yes. so, and everybody knows that that doesn't mean an actual plate. It means that there's, there's a lot of things that I'm trying to deal with. Right. And it's, it's very common on that plate 
to have things from the past and to have things that we're worrying about in the future. And so if we can heal and let go of the past and then to not worry about the future, but to to look at the future with an idea of hope and positive expectation, then all of a sudden what's on our plate has decreased dramatically. And then we're better able to handle what is on our plate. Exactly. And by doing this process, you also learn what you don't need, right? And what you do need. And so to me, it helps in relationships. Because if you're getting in relationships, and to me, everything we do is about relationships, right? The money does, you can't relate to money, but you relate to other people or you don't relate to anybody. So it's all about relationships. So when we're young, if, if we came from a painful family, the two couples and they get together, they're trying to find healing, but through their pain. And so it's a process where they're helping each other, but they don't realize it. Helping each other, but they don't realize it. Will you help helping clarify other, me? Helping, help, helping each other heal, but they don't realize that that's what they're doing. So they may come together thinking, oh, love is great. This is all great. And then once they get married or in a profound relationship, then they start finding things wrong. They start picking at each other. All those painful things start coming forward. And you have to have a consciousness knowing that, oh, this is, this is part of your pain. How can I help you deal with that? And same thing for the other person. So that's why I wrote in the book that we get married for the wrong reasons. I do remember you talking about getting married, well, we get for, married the for the wrong right reasons. reasons. Yeah, we get married for the wrong reasons. Uh, and t- unless we've gone through a process of healing or we're in a better place. Because a lot, of, a lot of my patients, once they got into a better place, they no longer wanted the type of relationship they were in because they no longer needed to heal from that. Okay, that's interesting. So are you suggesting, so when I read that chapter, the part uh, that I got that I'm remembering from marrying for the wrong reasons is that we often tend to subconsciously look for people like our parents. Yes. And so if we have an issue with our family, maybe we didn't have a good growing up, then we then we go there. But now it sounds like you're talking about how we kind of push each other's buttons. And when yes. we get those buttons pushed, it's because, like the sliver analogy that I used earlier, if you poke me here and it hurts, it's because I have a sliver that's hidden down inside. And so as they continue to uh, touch that sensitive spot, it, it hurts me, not because necessarily their poking hurts me, but because it's where my sliver is. It's where my pain is. Is, is that what we're, we're talking about? Yes. Am I, yes. Am I, am I with you? Okay. Especially, especially if, you're, if you're coming from uh, two, two traumatized people that they have their issues and they haven't gone through a process of self-awareness. Okay. Um, they're going to end up fighting. They're going to think that they, they're on the same page, or, or, but they're not. They're trying to find, if we don't feel like we're loved by our parents and supported by our parents, we're constantly looking for that. Constantly looking for that. It's like some sort of code that whoever our parents were, if we don't get the love and nurturing from our parents, we kind of constantly seek that. And so that becomes a problem later on in life. It does. It does. Unless you recognize it for what it is. Very true. And that feeling, we have an innate need to be loved and to yes. be seen, to, yes. to, to know that we are important. 
And sometimes we have, maybe we're born into a family where we didn't get that. Maybe our parents were doing the best they could, but we still didn't feel it. And so we need to get that love. So what do you think is a source that we can get that love that is a healthy, um, a healthy way to do it? Well, um, I would like to say a lot of, a lot of religions would help, uh, getting to meet your daughter through uh, the Latter-day Saints that, that, that brought in a different perspective. I didn't know that much about Latter-day Saints. Um, but there is some dynamics there that contribute to supporting a child and loving a child. And the parents have to, have to be there too. You can't just say, I love you and, and be supportive if you're feeding them wrong kinds of love or disingenuous love. So it, it's a tough thing to, to process. It's a tough thing. And so from my perspective, not everybody else seeks a religious platform. So it has to be something that you can find without a religious platform, but at least a belief in a higher, higher, higher being in spirituality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm with you on that. I think that the source is our higher power or God or the universe or whatever words and terms you see it and you understand it because we don't all understand things from the same page. No. But there is, we do have just, when we talk about these, these basic innate needs and desires, we do have this need to be loved. So for me, because I believe in God, I would say my source of love that's going to work is God and then myself. And I have to learn how to love myself and I have to learn to trust that God loves me. And between those two things, if we get those right, all of a sudden a whole bunch of other stuff just falls into place. It, it does. And, and unfortunately, not everybody comes from that place. Mm-hmm. Not all children are loved well in a healthy way. And so that, that creates a huge dynamic. And so I get overwhelmed sometimes thinking about all the people that don't have a process to sort things out. And these days, so many, so many kids get addicted to drugs, whether it's prescription drugs or other drugs to seek escape or to relieve their pain. And uh, it's very, it's very difficult to try to help that help them after they go down a certain road. I agree with you completely. And that is one of the reasons why we are having this conversation today, because there is a lot of pain and suffering in the world and people don't know where to look. They don't know where to go. And so as we have a conversation and as people listen in, and then it can help awaken an idea because when, when you hear truth, it resonates with you. And I talk to lots of different people and they come from lots of different angles. And the beautiful thing is that one person is not going to resonate with every listener. And so we talk to lots of different people who have lots of different approaches when we're all teaching true principles, but we might have a little different approach to the way that we do things so that all the people who are listening can find something that resonates with them so they can find a source of peace and a source of healing. Because I want to make the world a better place. I want people to be happy. And that is why I do what I do to help people heal and to be happy. 
and to feel empowered to have a beautiful life. And that's what I was that's what I was doing as well in my practice. Trying to educate people that you can do this. You have to do the work. It's like going to school. You can't just learn a couple of words and go out. But I wanted to empower people to go look into this for themselves. Find ways. I didn't have to be the only answer. They could find other ways that resonated with them, that kept them in the truth. And that's that's the hard part. Because, like you said, there's so many different people in the world. And they have so many different beliefs. One person or one group is not going to be able to address everybody. There's just some in, inherent thing in our system, in our innateness, that doesn't allow us to go, oh, yeah, I'll just believe everything everybody else is saying. <laughs> That'd be pretty confusing because people give some pretty opposite ideas. <laughs> yeah, they can have pretty opposite ideas. And so it, it shows you how our, our backgrounds can formulate different mentalities. And sometimes they're not always helping mentalities. Right. And that brings up another thing where sometimes we have to be open to changing our mind. Like if you've heard something some way your whole life and someone comes up with a new idea and your knee-jerk reaction is, well, I haven't heard that before, so it can't be true. If we can just open up a little bit and and recognize and and you know feel it taste it a little bit and see if it's good or if it's something we want to spit out but not just not just build a wall well from my perspective you have to want this for yourself the patients that did the best wanted to do it for themselves they wanted to get to a better understanding they wanted to get to a better health they wanted to get a better peace of mind for themselves not for their wives or their husbands or the kids or whatever they had to do it for themselves so you have to have that, you have to want that inside to find it. If you don't care about yourself enough, you're not going to do that. You're going to allow yourself to succumb to whatever things that destroy you. And that's what we see a lot of. So you have to want, and you have to know that there is another place to be, another place to go, oh. another, another way to live. Dr. Larry, we are just on the same page and I just love it. So I also teach that you cannot heal without your consent. Exactly. We have to choose. We have to make a choice. We have to be willing to do that. And the biggest thing that I teach is there is hope for healing. There is. We don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be stuck. There really is hope for healing and hope to do things. And the cool thing is there's more than one right way to do it. There is. I've been saying all my life that, uh, that this, it doesn't have to be this way. The world doesn't have to be this way, but we all have to join in on the idea that we want something better, that we want something better of ourselves and for other people. And we're not there yet. Well, not everyone is. But don't you see certain people waking up to that idea? Well, (laughs) I'm talking to one. You know, where where were you 20 years ago or 25 years ago? Um, (laughs) But but you're right. It's it's like people are starting to wake up to the idea that there's more to our health, to our well-being, than just watching TV or doing whatever we're doing. We have to take that inner journey somewhere, and we have to choose that. But but, because you're right. I can't force you to be a better person. I can't force you to be happy. No. Nope. I can't. I can. 
I can stick needles in you all the time, make you feel good for a while. I can do talk to you, but you have to want to do that yourself. Yep. That's fantastic. Oh, Dr. Larry, thank you so much for visiting with me today. I have enjoyed this. I have too, Linda. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by B.K.S. Iyengar. He said, Health is a state of complete harmony of the body, mind, and spirit. When one is free from physical disabilities and mental distractions, the gates of the soul open. Today, I invite you to improve your health by creating harmony between your body, mind, and spirit. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.